Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. John chapter 5, verse 39. This is Jesus speaking. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless our thoughts and meditations. Pray that you would correct, strengthen, heal us by your word. Father, I pray that you would would help my mind to focus and that you would anoint my lips, that I would speak your word. And Father, that your church, your people would be blessed and strengthened. That this flock would be built up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So again, we're, we've worked through chapter 5. Remember the context for this passage. The context is Jesus addressing the Jews who had accused him and the man that he healed of being lawbreakers. So the Jews are accusing Jesus, the one who wrote the law, of being a lawbreaker. The Jews hated him also because he had made himself equal with God and by saying, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. And it's at that point where they, they can't take anymore, and they want to kill him. How angry were they? Scripture says they were seeking all the more to kill him. They started angry, now they're even angrier. He's making himself equal with God. The Jews, his own people, let's not forget, right? Jesus is a Jew. The Jews are his own people, would not receive Jesus sent by the Father to redeem them from their sins. They're rejecting what God had sent for their redemption. Uh, They thought that this prophet, priest, and king before them was an imposter. And that he should be eradicated, killed, Buried in the ground rather than to be worshipped. That's what they wanted. In opposing Jesus, they thought that they were honoring God. They were not honoring God. 
In fact, what they were doing is blaspheming continuously, blaspheming God. Into this hostility and rejection by the Jews, Jesus speaks in our passage this morning. He takes what is precious to them and what, what would be more precious to, uh, to these people than Moses' writing the Word, the Scriptures. And so he takes what is precious to them, the Scriptures, and shows them how their zeal is godly. I mean, is godless. Shows them that their zeal is godless. How does he do that? He says that they think that they have eternal life in the Scriptures, but the Scriptures have only one subject to which um, they are blind, and it's the one subject of all of Scripture. Right? They have missed the point. These Jews have missed the point. They've had the Scriptures. They've missed the point. The one subject is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God. Right? Jesus told them, the Scriptures testify of me. And they harden their hearts against the very theme of the Old Testament Scriptures, the very theme of the Scriptures they have, they've hardened their heart against this. They, they, they miss everything, and they prefer, actually, just to harden themselves against this. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, right? Jesus knew their hearts, perceiving their unbelief, says, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You are unwilling Come to me, that you may have life. It is their hardness of heart that keeps them from believing. Right? It is their hardness of heart that keeps them from believing. It is their hatred for Christ and for his words that hinders them from submitting to him. He has come to them, as John said back in chapter 1, and they would not receive him. He's come. He's condescended. He has lowered himself in, in incomprehensible ways, and they, they are not impressed. They prefer their ignorance to his salvation. They prefer whatever false message they've read into Scripture to the actual message of Scripture about this Christ that's standing right there before them, the Holy One of God. The words of, the, of, Mar, of martyr Stephen to the Sanhedrin apply to these Jews. You remember, S Stephen goes through the history uh, of the Old Testament, essentially. And then he comes to a conclusion, and he says this to the Sanhedrin, to these Jews. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Painful words for a Jew to hear. Stiff-necked would resonate with them as they thought back about what God said about that generation that wandered around in the wilderness. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. One whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. 
you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it, did not get it, right? Missed the whole point of it and made it this burden to put on people, right? And so here, here Stephen is calling them out and he's also pointing and saying that all these prophets were announcing the one who's coming and he's come. Right? And, and you've become betrayers and murderers of this one. In both these circumstances, and the Jews in, in John chapter 5 and those Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin in uh, the, the early part of Acts, their resistance to Jesus is demonstrated by what? Well, by the fact that they want him dead. Right? By the fact that they want him dead, their resistance is willful. And so, you know what they are doing? Essentially, they are making war with God. They are making war with God. They want to pick up weapons and take them against God himself. They're making war with God. God sent his son to them out of his kindness, and they instead want to make war with the very Lamb of God. And because of their hostility in mind toward Jesus, they are unwilling to come to him so that they might have life. Not until their hearts change, not until their hearts soften will they come to him. But for, for now, they have exactly what they want and they are responsible for that hostility toward the Lamb of God. They are willfully set against God. Now it's hard as a general principle, it's not just hard. I think it's impossible to stay neutral about this man, Jesus Christ. It's simply impossible to remain neutral. The only way to be neutral about Jesus Christ is to be completely ignorant of him. But the minute you open up scriptures and begin reading about Jesus, there's no way to be neutral. There's no way to be neutral given the claims he makes. Many people remain neutral about Buddha. Many people remain neutral about Islam and Muhammad. Many people remain neutral about psychology and the God of therapy. But very seldom are people neutral about Jesus Christ. Right? Isn't that your experience? Very seldom are people neutral about Jesus Christ. Some of you may have family members who are freaked out by the fact that you love Jesus. That you talk about Jesus as if he's real. It bothers them greatly. Right? And, and they, they think it's strange that they think you should be neutral and that to dedicate your life to Jesus is, is, uh, is whacked, to put it technically. Right? They would rather you kept everything in perspective in your life. Right? Just keep it. Keep everything in moderation, in perspective. They would rather you had a few idols that you could serve alongside Jesus that would make them a little more comfortable than the single-minded devotion to Jesus that you have. And so those, those people live their lives hostile toward Christianity. They express contempt for the exclusivity of Christ. It is not enough for them to live by their motto to each his own, especially when it comes to Christianity. No one will apply that to Jesus. 
you can have Jesus. I'm cool with that. I don't really have any thoughts about that. No, I, that never seems to happen. It's like you, you worship Jesus and I hate you. I hate you. I hate your faith. The Jews who had been searching the Scriptures, preparing for the coming of the Messiah, hated Jesus. They hated Him. They were not content to ignore Him. They did not want to chalk Him up to another one of these, these false prophets that came along. They wanted to kill Him. Right? They, they were not content to, to, um, to let Him do His thing. They wanted him destroyed. I mean, perhaps it's that reality, brothers and sisters, friends, perhaps it's that reality that keeps some of you from fully committing to Jesus Christ. Because you know people will hate you for it because they already hate your hate Jesus. You know that no one out there is neutral about Jesus Christ, and so in coming to him, you know that your life will be turned upside down. You'll be the Jesus freak in your own family. Friends you have will become your enemies. You will lose friends. If you've truly come to Christ, you've lost friends. Right? Your own spouse might think of you as a freak. Your children may mock you for your faith. Children may think you're an ignorant fool who believes in magic and myths. Your children may mock you as, you as you run toward yonder wicked gate, right? Think of that image of Pilgrim in the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress. But Jesus, you know, you, you shouldn't be surprised by this. Jesus tells you that this is what your life as a Christian will be. He has told us that our affections must completely change if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's what it says. But so many people want to retain relationships above God. Retain relationships while betraying Christ. You will regret that one day. You will regret that you had to keep mama happy and you turned your back on Christ, even in one of his commands. You will regret that. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, give me, me, your devotion. Give me. So many people today would rather stay hostile toward Jesus, that relationship wrecker, than bow their knees to the one who can rescue them as they cross from this life to the next. The only one who can rescue them as they cross from this life to the next. So many people would rather stay hostile toward Jesus than allow Him to get between their relationship with their sister and her fur babies. You'd rather offend Jesus than offend your sister who constantly talks about her fur babies. That's crazy. That is a serious lack of <laughs> proportion. So many people turn their, their sights upon Jesus because he has the audacity to call for single-minded devotion. Right? 
He doesn't like your idols. He does not like to split his, his affections. And he doesn't like you to split your affections, right? And so, um, again, going back to that image of, of the Christian at the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, after speaking with evangelist Christian, right, the, the, the main guy in that, in Bunyan's uh, work, begins to, uh, to work toward that narrow gate that's been pointed out to him. But he faced resistance from those hostile toward him and toward Christ. And, and it says this, uh, Christian said, Whither must I fly? Then the evangelist, pointing with his finger over a very wide field, says, Do you see yonder wicked gate? And the man said, No. Then, then said the other, Do you see yonder shining light? And he said, I think I do. Then said evangelist, keep that light in your eye and go up directly thereto, so shalt thou see the gate, at which when thou knockest, it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Do you know what happens next? Now he had not run far from his own door when his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry after him to return. Come back. Come back. But the man did what? Put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. Ran on with his not listening. So he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. The neighbors also came out to see him run, and as he ran, some mocked, others threatened, and some cried after him to return, and among those that did so, there were two that were resolved to fetch him back by force. The name of the one was Obstinate, and the name of the other, Pliable. Now by this time, the man was, was got a good distance from them, but however, they were resolved to pursue him, which they did. In a little time they overtook him, then said the man, Neighbors, wherefore are you come? And they said, To persuade you to go back with us. But he said, That can by no means be. You dwell, said he, in the city of destruction, the place also where I was born. I see it to be so, and dying there sooner or later, you will sink lower than the grave into a place that burns with fire and brimstone. Be content, good neighbors, and go along with me. <laughs> oh, man. This is what I've found in my own life. There are those, there, there, there is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. There are those who love him. There are those who hate him. There are those who go toward him. There are those who will try to keep you from going toward him as they resist him. Right? And those who hate Jesus will hate you if you love Jesus, and they will not be content to allow you just to have Jesus. Right? Even family members will persecute you if need be. You know, so be it. So be it. Gird up the lo your loins and be ready for it. Better to have eternal life in the Son of God than good relations with any of your blood relatives. Right?
the waters of baptism thicker than blood. Hostility toward Jesus, like these Jews who had even studied the scriptures, is pervasive in the world. If we haven't experienced it, it's because we're hiding our light. That's the only reason we wouldn't experience that. Because we're hiding our light. And perhaps you've sat under the preaching of the word many years and you are hostile toward Jesus because Jesus keeps telling you to get rid of your idols. You even sat under the preaching of the word, but Jesus keeps pounding you and saying, get rid of that idol, get rid of that idol. And you're like, no way. No way. He, he's telling you to stop pursuing those sensual things that give you a high. He's telling you to leave behind those friends that draw you down to this earth. And you are unwilling. You're unwilling. As if Jesus can't give you any joy. The one who created joy itself. You, in a sense, search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But every time Jesus stakes a claim on you, you say, not so fast, Jesus. Not there. Don't take that. Give me chastity, but not yet. I'll do what I want to do. Jesus, Jesus came to the Jews saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And doing the farthest thing from repentance, they seek to kill him. Repent. I'm here to save you. I think I'll kill you. Now Jesus continues to speak to them and argue with these hard-hearted Jews. He says, I do not receive glory from men. I do not receive glory from men, he says. I believe what Jesus is doing here is countering what he sees from these hostile Jews. You know, um, when you're in an argument, when you're arguing with somebody and you, you make a statement, uh, your opponent responds and then you go for a, a long time in one direction. And what does the point, opponent then do when you take a breath? Breath. Right? You're going, you're making your point, you take a breath, your opponent says, well, well, you seem pretty upset. Right? Which is a complete deflection. It's not about the argument. It's not to counter the argument. It's just a, a, an attack on the person. Right? Well, you seem pretty upset. Seems like something is eating you up. Is it because, you know... Uh, and, and here's what I think is going on with Jesus. Um, he's countering what he's perceiving from these Jews. These Jews are like, is it because we didn't heap praise on you for healing this man? Is that, is that what you want? Is that, it, do you want praise? Is that why we're, we're at, at a loggerheads here? You, we, we didn't praise you enough for, for this man. We, we, we went after you for Sabbath breaking and, and you just wanted to be praised for this man. And, and Jesus is saying, I don't, I don't need that. I don't receive praise from men. That's not what I need. That's not what, will ever, that's not what will ever motivate me. Jesus anticipates this sort of move, a move to deflect away from their own hostility and attribute selfish hostility to Jesus. And he says, I do not receive glory from men. I do not. His purpose is not to draw attention to himself. His purpose is not to build up 
himself with accolades of men. He does not heal men in order to uh, receive a round of applause. He has a much greater purpose than that, nothing less than fulfilling the will of his eternal Father. And that will is to redeem mankind, fallen Adam, dead in sin. Now, he's not upset because they won't praise him for his act of healing. He's not upset at all. He doesn't receive his praise from men. Then he bluntly points out to these Jews that they have no genuine love for God. I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. So think about it. Their hostility toward Jesus arises from what? A lack of love toward God. Lack of love toward his Father. Again, this points toward the impossibility of neutrality when it comes to Jesus. Right? Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. These Jews are proving this once and once again. What is the proof of their lack of love? The next verse, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. Right? Remember verses 31 through 40. He has outlined uh, for them how everything he's been doing testifies that he was sent by the Father. John's testimony, his miracles, right? His Father's voice in the work of the prophets and in the scriptures. They have all of this glory, all of this testimony, and their response is rejection. They had the love of God in them, they would have received his son. In fact, that is the proof today of a genuine love for God. So many people functionally deny the Trinity because they worship a God of their own imagination. Not the triune God laid out for us in his book. How many people have you known who talk of God but studiously avoid talking of God's son or the spirit? They talk about God, you know, God this, God that, but there's no specificity and there's certainly no talk of God the Son. You, you probably know people who talk of the spirits, right? Who are spiritual in a generic sense. The spirit moves and, right? They talk that way, but studiously avoid talking about God the Father or the Son. Right? How many people do you know who are offended by Jesus but expect that some kind of deity will welcome them into heaven when they die? How many hundreds of people do you know like that? This is the American civil religion. This is, this is the, um, the religion of the American patriot. The deism of old. Right? Still alive today. You know? I'm good with God. God's good with me. No mention of Jesus. Studiously avoiding it. Right? Everybody today is Thomas Jefferson. Cutting out the miracles. Cutting out the mentions of Jesus. In this situation, it's all too common. Your grandmother or your uncle or child may be the kind of person that avoids talk of Jesus, but banks on some sort of benevolent power to willy-nilly save them at the end of their days, no matter the problem of sin, no matter the problem of God's perfect holiness, right? No matter that God must be just and the justifier. 
no matter that, they're just like willy nilly, I'm in. <laughs> Again, there is no neutrality, and it is so obvious. Those who love God will love His Son. That's what Jesus said. Those who love God will love His Son. Those who know God will know His Son. Those who accept God will accept His Son. The linchpin of all true religion is Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Christians do not worship a vanilla two-dimensional God. Christians worship the triune God revealed in the Bible, right? And this will always be true. No one comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus. That is always true. That will always be true to the end of the ages. If you are banking on acceptance with God without going through Jesus Christ, who came to make acceptance with God a possibility, you are in fact rejecting God. You are hating His Son. If you stubbornly refuse to come to terms with the Son of God, you remain in your sins. You are a rebel because the Father from all eternity past covenanted with His Son. And there is no way to respect Him without respecting His Son and His covenanted work. Many try. Many try. And what they think is love toward God is actually hostility. Because you just don't like Jesus. I can give me the generic vanilla kind of Christian faith, but let's not talk about Jesus. It's awkward. God becomes man, takes on the flesh, dies for sins, rises again. Now is seated to the right hand of the Father. He's going to come back. He's going to, he's going to judge the nation. I mean, that's just, you know. Can't we have a God who just made stuff? Kicked it into motion? Not a God who entered into what his own canvas that he had, had painted? Jesus came in his Father's name, and they did not receive him. But if some guy came along who exalted himself, these Jews would give themselves to him. That's what he says next. You know, Jesus comes speaking, and they're like, no. But some lunatic could come and tell them the stupidest stuff, and they'd be like, give me more. Now, we all have experienced this, haven't we? There are Mormons in the world. They prove that. Better than anybody, the Mormons prove that, they, that you will go after anything. Right? That's what Jesus says in verse 43. So many people reject the Father's testimony in Scripture, but they are willing to believe the testimony of some dude who writes for the New York Times or some dude who sits down and writes a best-selling piece of fiction about the Illuminati who supposedly run this world, or, or some dude or dudette who opines on a cable news network, or some dude they don't know anything about who, who made a really convincing post on Facebook. So many people are willing to believe conspiracy theories even and especially while they dismiss the glorious word of God eternally true. Is that true of you? 
I mean, you pro- maybe you haven't even read God's word. That's, that's insane. So you give all of your time to listening to, to pundits and none of your time reading an inspired book that's not like any other book? I can't convince you of that. Only the Spirit can, but you should read it. And maybe the Spirit will. If we kept track of how much time we gave to the Scripture and how much time we gave to the words of men, what would our balance sheets look like? Oh, man. That's convicting to me. That is convicting to me. Jesus confronts the people for this very fact. They pay attention to someone who exalts himself and rejects the Father's testimony about his Son. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. And that's, that's sad. That is sad. How prone we are to accept testimony of mere men to go after tidbits of information that titillate us Right to believe our second cousin's conspiracy theory about vaccines and autism. To attribute omniscience to men and deny it to God. That's what that is. That's attributing omniscience to man and denying it to God. There are so many fears today that are based on conspiracy theories. We just jump from one to the next. Meanwhile, we look for no comfort from the Word of God. We don't want eternal truths to sort of undergird us and and keep us steady, right? To brace us. We just go from conspiracy theory to the next conspiracy theory. And you know what it's doing right now? It's just destroying the church in America. It's, it's tearing the church apart because the people have abandoned Jesus and the Word of God and prefer pundits, prefer Facebook headlines. You don't even read the articles. I know you don't. I don't. And, and why are we surprised about this? Why are we surprised that the Christian church would be so weak? That we would have nothing true and good and right and, and eternal to say right now into this moment where people are genuinely suffering and genuinely afraid. All we do is add our railing voices to those who are railing against the government, but we, have no, but we don't say anything about come to Jesus and your fears can fade away no matter what happens to your body. Even if, if Joe Biden were, were to become the next Stalin, the message of the Christian shouldn't change. It should be come to Jesus. They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Fear the one who can kill body and soul and cast it into hell. That should be what we're saying, but we're not. This is what happens when when you receive the testimony of man and prefer it to the testimony of God. That is what every person who has ever looked at the beauty of a sunset and comes away from it rejecting God does. That's what they're doing. They're just rejecting God's testimony. 
That is what every person in hell will have done, rejecting God's testimony about His Son while accepting the tale spun by rolling, the Rolling Stones. Or Carl Sagan. Or Big Bird. How can you believe, Jesus says in verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? In other words, no one is likely to believe if they prefer the praise of men to the praise of God. Or another way to put that is no one will overcome their unbelief until they care about pleasing God over pleasing man. And here's the trouble, everyone lives to please somebody. Right? Everybody lives to please somebody. This is why we have halls of fames and award ceremonies. Right? Achievement among men is enough for most people. And so whether or not they achieve anything with God is, is, is not a concern for them. They, they know there is a God, but they just are not interested in serving Him, honoring Him, or giving Him thanks. And that is likely the case because they've achieved honor among men without having to face any rejection or any severing from the sins they so love and enjoy. They don't have to worry about their crabby pride because, well, it has only contributed to what they've achieved up to this point in their lives among men. What do they miss out on, though? I mean, serious question. What do they miss out on, though? Everything. Everything. They miss out on everything, right? They miss out on the glory that is from the one and only God. That's what they miss out on. And what is that glory? Well, Mark 10. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or ch children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions. <laughs> That's thrown in there. And in the age to come, eternal life eternal life the glory that is is received is eternal life in the warm rich verdant peaceful confines of the redeemed and renewed earth where Christ himself dwells That's the reward of the godly. Such a loss, no, to receive all your good in this life. That is such a terrible fate. And anyone who has spent even a millisecond in the presence of God feels this truth more than they have felt anything ever in their lives. Will you risk it? Will you risk it? Do you want to have your good things now? Will you risk it? Will you have your good things in this life? Will you live for the praise of men? Is that, is that honestly enough for you? To live for the praise of men. You just want to be esteemed in the eyes of men, but what God thinks of you 
sort of indifferent. You who could have had Jesus as your friend, as your advocate, as your intercessor, as your mediator, as your righteousness, do you know what he will become if you continue living for the praise of men and not for the praise of his Father? Do you know what Jesus will become? You will stand before God and Moses, which means the law of God, and they will accuse you. You will stand before God without someone there to take your place. You will stand there without the clothing of Christ's righteousness that comes to you by faith. You will stand there exposed to the anger of God who hates sin. You'll have spent your life making light of sin. And then you will find out that, wow, this really isn't something to make light of. This is really no trifling matter. As you call for the rocks and the hills to come descend upon you so that you might be crushed in the presence of God. That one true living God is a serious God. And he's a holy God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. These Jews set their hope on in Moses and thinking they had lived up to Moses' standard, that they had lived up to his law. They had kept all the commandments. They had put God in their debt, right? Which is what every man who lives for the praise of man thinks. He thinks that what he has done is enough to make him, make him uh, do well standing before that righteous God who knows every one of his thoughts. Every man who lives for the praise of man thinks that God will be obligated to be duly impressed. Here's the problem, though. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Think about the unrighteous deeds. They'd misread Moses to their eternal doom. They missed what Moses was said about the coming Christ and the righteousness that must be given to them as a gift. They mistook the shadows for the substance. And Jesus says, for if, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They boast and boast and boast and boast about their Moses, these Jews, but they missed the whole point of the writings, which was Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ is now standing before them, and because they missed the point and hardened their heart against God, they now resist his words and want to kill him. Their lives, led by the Pharisees who lived for the approval of men rather than the approval of God, had been a series of attempts at trying to outdo one another. That was never the purpose of the law. The law was written so that's, not so that you could prove you've outdone somebody. The law was written to prove that you are wretched and can't outdo anybody. Right? The law was written so that everybody would be shut up under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law was meant to be a tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified on the basis of faith. But these Jews had made it into a game, 
a game we rather like to play, outdo our neighbor. Doesn't matter over what we play the game, our looks, our wealth, right, our good works, our education, we can make all those ways of seeking the approval of men. And just like the Jews, if you live your life like that, you will see no need for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, sacrifice for sins. Who is who sinned? I mean, I who sinned? Brothers and sisters, again, this is the message of Scripture. Some of you are offended that I've gotten too spiritual, that I've gotten to the end game too quickly, that we should have sermons on 12 steps to a better marriage, right? I'm not opposed to sermons about marriage and even having 12 steps, but it's probably more like 86. But this is the core of the gospel. Right? This, this is what Jesus is speaking about here. Right? I could have preached a safe sermon about the doctrine of Scripture and what Moses and how he fits in there. and We could have, we could have been very safe and I could have never gotten to your conscience. Are you living a life to please other people or are you trying to seek the approval of God? I mean, really examine yourself because, because if, you're, if your main thrust in this life is to seek the approval of men, you will be sorely disappointed when you stand before God on the day of judgment, which is coming. It's going to be a real day. Right? You, you, may not think, you may not think that you haven't sinned, but if you go on rejecting the help of God as, as given to you in Jesus Christ, it is indeed the way you think. Right? Humble yourself and cease, cease living for the approval and praise of men. Live for God's approval. Live for God's approval. That will give you courage. Right? That will give you steadfastness and there's one way to do that put your whole faith in his son put your stop hating jesus actually love him put your faith in his son he will then become to you god's wisdom and god's righteousness and sanctification and redemption it will be all those things to you and as you approach your death There is only one boast you will want to shout at the top of your lungs, and that will be let him who boasts boast in the Lord. In the Lord. Amen?